0: I think I have to be able to, you know, to, be, to, to acknowledge the role that I've got and, uh, and to accept that people appreciate it. Um, I've always been somewhat of an underdogish kind of personality.
1: Covering Husker football in these parts is a pretty big deal. Sam McEwen covers Husker football for the Omaha World Herald which is a pretty big deal, the biggest media outlet in the state of nebraska long-standing generational traditional media outlet the biggest newspaper in the state of nebraska
0: there are always going to be people in in the news media who are willing to march to whatever beat their source wants to wants to lay out and you you can't it's very you're never going to compete with that if you're being if you're being an objective
1: sincere, honest journalist, you
0: cannot do that. And you can't give people the impression you're going to do that.
1: This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We come your way from the studios of 90.3 FM, KRNU, in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln.
0: Scott gives you pretty straightforward answers to every question you ask him. Uh, he, uh be very honest, uh, which I appreciate. He usually knows why you're asking the question. He's thought about that stuff ahead of time, and so his answers are very direct and very, uh, very brief, but they're, they're to the point.
1: Sam McEwen joins us this time around on Watch the Media. Sam McEwen covers the Huskers and other things for the Omaha World-Herald. He's been there for about eight years, and he's with us today on Watch the Media. Sam, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. It's about time we uh, got a little bit of your time. So we've been doing this program for a while. And uh, So I guess we'll start this conversation with a really simple question. What is it you do for the Omaha World-Herald?
0: I cover Nebraska sports. Uh, primarily I cover Nebraska football and Nebraska women's basketball, but I also will cover Nebraska sports administration. So, Athletic Director Bill Moose and uh, other things going on. And then I also cover the Big Ten. So, uh, part of my job is to uh, examine and, and look at the Big Ten and trends that are going on um, in in the league.
1: So, during the football season um let's assume then if we can that this is a 7 day a week job
0: oh yeah i mean i think there's there's times when i can get a six you know it's six um when it's a when it's a home game you know i can wrap up pretty much all of my work um by a thursday and then friday is essentially uh, a day off uh, and then i work on saturday and sunday uh when it's road games if you count travel you you know you're usually traveling on a friday um, so even if you're not doing any work, you're nevertheless, you're, you know, going to work. Uh, so yeah, in road games, it's usually a seven day a week deal.
1: You know, when I was covering um, uh, football, when I worked in in radio in San Francisco, it was almost a six or seven day a week job. And it was almost Mm -hmm. like it was the best job in the place. And every once in a while, it was the worst job in the place because of uh, travel and because of a call you might get at 11 o'clock at night or maybe 10 o'clock, which should be worse because they still expect you to get something in on deadline for the paper in the morning. And um, and you just you just have to live it. It becomes part of the lifestyle, doesn't it?
0: It does uh, now with the advent of social media. um, And that changes so many different things where you're not going to get a phone call, but a kid's going to tweet or he's going to put something out, you know, on Instagram or, or, uh, or things like that. And just really never know because right. The kid basically controls that process. And if he's awake at midnight and he decides he's going to put a tweet out, you know, maybe you're already asleep and, you know, tough, but uh, there are times when, uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of just go through it, and uh, it helps to have colleagues who can help you out when you're, you know, at a kid's recital or, or you know, doing doing something with your family. Which I have two kids, and so that always helps. But nevertheless, it can be challenging. Um, it does feel like you're on a lot, uh, and that there's this expectation in today's media. And this isn't just true of sports media, um, but all kinds of media, particularly political media, that you're just on all the time. Um, you know that you can't really turn off because uh, the news never stops.
1: How reliable is the information that you get from a 16 or 17 year old at midnight?
0: Well, if it's if they're committing <laughs> and they want to put something on Twitter, it's it's reliable. That doesn't happen very often. Um, there was, I think, the, the the one that that jumped out at me was I was down at the uh, Peach Bowl covering Scott Frost's last game with Central Florida. And I believe after the game, so it was January, I think the game was on January 1st, that night, late that night, um, Nick Gates uh, declared for the NFL draft on Twitter. So it was an accurate, it was accurate, but, you know, he also declared for the NFL draft. So um, he, I think he said he was going to stay in, and they had like four or five days left to make that decision, but he decided he was going to stay in, and um, and there you go. I mean, that kind of stuff sometimes happens. Um you know, I remember that in 2015, uh, some one of Nebraska's football players had gotten in an argument overnight on social media with somebody, and he'd written something that he shouldn't have written about Husker fans having to kiss his feet and all this other stuff. And I think I woke up at like 6 a.m. And I typed it up and I put it in a blog and put it up on the website. And you know, basically, I just woke up before other people did, other media. And so we had that story for, I don't know, an hour before anyone else did just because I woke up. So that kind of stuff happens. It's, it's a goofy it's a goofy industry sometimes, and there are things about it I don't love. Um, and then there's things you do love. Um, you, you do understand so much about um, an organization like that, like that program. And, and through that, you can understand institutions and how they function and how people work together. And there's so many different lessons and, you know, human observations you can make by watching an organization of 170 people, coaches and players, uh, try to figure it out.
1: So you follow high school. You, you So you have basically have to follow every single one of the Huskers – who's on Twitter or Instagram, uh, Snapchat, wh- wherever they're making news, um, mm-hmm. at least one of those, and you have to follow all the high school guys. So anybody who's even on the radar as a high school recruit, you have to start following them on, um, on uh, social media. How do you keep track of all of this?
0: Well, you know, that's interesting. You use notifications, right, on your phone, and so like you try to create notifications, like you try to shape your notification list so um, you know that you're getting notified by about things that are important. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, when you're following a high school athlete, you can shape your notifications so that it'll only show something with media. And usually when a kid commits, you know, that's, he's using some sort of edit that was received by uh, to him by some kid that makes edits. Um, this stuff may may or may not resonate with, some of your listeners but this is how intricate this business is um it's an entire cottage industry of of people that are sort of surrounding this giant machine that is nebraska football and then you duplicate that about 55 times to you know all the other football programs in the country that are extremely important and that's kind of what's happening at all of them um you make lists of high school prospects who you think are likely uh to um you know to be uh players that are Important to Nebraska, and they're going to offer 400 guys. You're not going to follow 400 guys. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, not so going, you're not going to have notifications for 400 guys. So I think you you have to be judicious and thoughtful and try to use discernment. And over time, i I feel like I've developed um, a pretty good a pretty good eyeball for that. Um, there's probably been, as it relates to recruits, um, there's probably been three or four times that I've been completely caught off guard in the football program. Incidentally, I think the basketball reporters were probably caught off guard at least that many times with Fred Hoiberg recently, Mm -hmm. and not because they weren't doing their job, but because Fred moved so fast, and it was so unprecedented the speed with which they were adding players that it was hard to get your arms around everything that they were doing. So um, that was pretty interesting to watch, Uh, and you know, and basketball reporters did a great job with that, but they were moving so fast, I don't think people realized. You know, there was a couple of roster recaps. Uh, pieces, that, and then two days later, there were three more guys on the team. So yeah. there's so many different ways to look at the industry, and and how wired you have to be for it all the time.
1: So this is not something, Sam. You you could read out of a book. You know, when when we or, or even get it from a generation before you, when we started. I'm much older than you are, but when we started in this business. The generation taught you how it is. They taught you how uh, what the locker room protocol was. They taught you how the what the ethics and standards were. You know, we learned that in school, but you also learn it uh, on the job. This is not the kind of thing that a generation before you could teach you. So you basically have to trial and error this thing to get it right. Is that correct? You do.
0: You do. I think again, you have to employ dis- discernment and think about it. I think most things. That are protocol related or often logical and common sense um, even all the way up to covering politics. But I think it takes discernment, right? It takes thought and it takes kind of uh, people knowledge and and, and things like that. So it's not always easy. Um, You know, it's a people business in a lot of ways. In other words, building relationships with people is more important than understanding all of the nooks and crannies. And then in the process of building relationships with people, understanding their context uh, and where they're coming from as they tell you what they tell you and, and, and then beginning to learn how to shape questions and shape responses uh, based on that. So once you understand someone's context, you can, can, begin to put yourself in their shoes and ask questions that hopefully get good answers that are beyond just sort of boilerplate things. Um, but that takes time. That, that part takes just um, practice with other people um, and it takes it takes making mistakes. It takes being wrong a lot. It takes being comfortable with being wrong. Sometimes you have to sort of live with that reality and kind of and kind of get through it. Um, and, you know, and it takes lots of different aspects. That's that's the essence of reporting. Um, is that You try to build relationships with people to the point where you can trust them and they can trust you and you can trust each other to do
1: what you're supposed to do. If That makes sense. It makes total sense. Thanks, Sam McEwen covers the Huskers and other things for the Omaha World Herald. The athletic department at the University of Nebraska is this hundreds of millions of dollars machine um, that is the, in many ways, the biggest entity uh, to focus on, including the legislature in the state of Nebraska. How difficult is it to penetrate that machine? How difficult is it to get information that you need?
0: Well, I mean, it helps that it's a public university. So if I want to request someone's salary, I can get it. That helps. So, you know, there's aspects of my job that are easier than it would be if it were Duke, where Duke's a private university, doesn't have to give you anything um, in terms of it's you know, public data. So there's that. Um, but you know, it, it can be challenging. Uh, it's, it's definitely not a, um, you know, that they, they have a lot of the, the power, right. I mean, the, the, they have, mm-hmm. they have uh, fan sentiment on their side. And so you have to be thoughtful and you, you appreciate the access that you're given and at Nebraska, the access is better than it is at a lot of places. Um, and from there, you know, you have to you have to build rapport and trust and respect um, with the people who represent that institution. And I think the last piece is important. I think there are a lot of people um, in in any in any beat in any news beat in any sports beat who who start to mistake who their audience is and can sometimes think my audience is the person I'm talking to. It's not the people who read or watch or listen to um, my work. Um, my audience is my source, and that's not that's not true and so sometimes there's going to be times when even if your source and you are really good yeah on good terms, there's going to be difficult questions that have to be asked um that the source or the representatives of the institution may not want to answer but and they don't have to answer. I mean, you know, that's not our job to force them to answer, but it's our job to ask that question. And in asking that question, we're representing the general interest um, and perspective of of our audience. Uh, And some people at any given beat can can get that confused really easily because it's easier to not ever make a source mask or not ever frustrate a source or not ever report something that a source would rather wasn't reported. Um, But that's that's not the business. That's not what we're in. So Mm -hmm. you have to work really hard to to be thoughtful about that and and to present both sides of things and and also that's where the respect part comes in that people need need to understand that at some point in the course of your job you you may do something that's not going to make them happy but they respect the fact that you're you're doing your job and not necessarily trying to cater solely to them.
1: So I think you've sort of begun to answer the question I was going to ask that, that that came to me as you were talking. And that is, what's the best way you've learned how to build that trust, to build that relationship so you can have that honest, um, give and take in and you, and you're, and you can ask those questions that are, that are tough and they'll take them, um, whether they answer them or not, but they'll take them. How do you build that?
0: That's a good question. Um, I think you have to do some of it away from the, away from the setting. Um, I do think there are, is time and space to build, um, you know, and to ask personal questions that are off the record, um, you know, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite restaurant or what's your favorite movie, how are your kids doing. To be able to have those brief moments, those brief windows, um, you're not necessarily ever going to be, you know, long-lasting, deep friends with coaches. I, I don't think that happens very much. Um, and if it does happen again, I think you kind of got to worry about whether or not the relationship went the right way. Um, it's just not that you know. Coaches are kind of transient, but not always, mind you. I think that there's some journalists that built very good relationships with Tom Osborne, for example. But he was here for 40 years. Um, some coaches are only here for five, and so it can be challenging. I think to uh, to build that stuff. Um, it's harder today than it used to be. I think because coaches have a keen awareness of how the local media doesn't have the kind of um, star making potential that the national media does. And so you'll be surprised. Like you'll, you could talk to a coach for, you know, uh, you know, several months on end and then a national reporter will come in and get something that you didn't get because if the coach had given you that they would have had to give all the other local reporters that, and they would rather just give it to a national reporter, that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. can happen. Um, But I think you have to just, you have to be objective and i think you have to you know maintain respect for people um most in most of my experiences with the exception of a few coaches kind of expect you to 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 agree with them uh <laughs> yeah. and and a lot of the times, there's there's a valid viewpoint that they have about something um you know there there's there's a legitimacy to that there are times though and this happened i think a couple of times with bo pelini when he was here or it's like you know no uh, i I just think you lost your temper, and I just think you're kind of wrong. Um, and we, we can't, you know, we can't, there's no water carrying on this one. And, uh, and people would still wear carry as water, but we didn't at the mm-hmm. World Herald. But it kind of depends on, you know, the person and what kind of relationship you, you think you can
1: build with him. How has it been, Sam, developing a relationship with Scott Frost?
0: Well, you know, Scott is uh, is a private guy. Um, you know, he's he's as smart of a coach as I've ever met. And so, um, I, you know, Scott could probably be a journalist and be a good one. I don't know that he, he obviously didn't want to be, but he could do that. He could write, and he, he's got all those abilities. He When he speaks to us and when he gives speeches out in the community, he does so with virtually no notes. He easily could have been a TV analyst or any of those things. So Scott's, Scott's very, very smart. Um, he's a pretty private guy. He's not going to sit there and talk a lot about, um, He you know, he hasn't talked a lot about his parents, um, both of whom were coaches, both of whom were athletes at Nebraska. Um, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't talked at
1: length about either one of them. Why is that, do you think?
0: Uh, Cause... I think that's his personal preference. Yeah. Um, he kind of told us that right when he was introduced.
1: Yeah, no, he uh, laid the law down right away, didn't he? Right. He,
0: yeah. he did. He did. And, and look, I mean, that's, if that's the way that he wants it, that is, his, that's his personal life. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit there and try to try to knock him uh, chisel away at things that are, I think is the longer he's here, I think the more comfortable he'll become. Um, I think I as a reporter am sensitive to the challenge and the responsibility that he has in front of him. I do have a little bit of empathy for that. Um, the one thing that I do that I know that he he doesn't probably know quite as well because he gets it secondhand. It's just how much of a grease fire it was before he got here and just how dysfunctional it was. And there are people who have great insight to that. Um, You know, he has people on his staff like that, but like he, he was busy building an extraordinary coaching career. And so like, there are things that he comes back to. And I just, you know, you have empathy because you understand the, the depth of the challenge in front of him mm-hmm. and the need maybe to not chum up uh, and 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 turn this thing around before he... Um, I think Frost has a sincerity about him where he's not going to make a bunch of promises about how the team's going to do or he's not going to be over, overly braggadocious with us until they actually do something. Like, I just don't think that's... A, like he comes in and I think his point is, Hey, we want to, we need to actually do what we say we're going to do and not just talk and talk and talk. Um, honestly, I think Nebraska just, um, let go of a basketball coach that at times could do more talking than doing. And so, you know, I think Scott is sensitive to that. Um, but let me be clear. Uh, Scott gives you pretty straightforward answers to every question you ask him. Uh, he, uh, to be very honest, uh, which I appreciate, he usually knows why you're asking the question. He's thought about that stuff ahead of time, and so his answers are very direct and very uh, very brief, but they're they're to the point, um, you know. And and you don't you don't necessarily always catch him off guard easily. Now, I had a really good relationship with Mike Riley. Mike was a great guy. Um, made lots of errors coaching wise, which we don't need to get into. But um, you know, it it's, it was different with Mike. You know, it was obviously different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, you could talk to him about his family at length. He asked you about your family. He's met my family, all those things. And so um, those those kind of things are – it just kind of depends on coach to coach, kind of how that goes. And you could actually have a conversation with Bo Pelini about that stuff too. Bo, Bo was such a hot and cold individual, but there were times when whatever was going on in his whatever – was good and you, the conversations you could have with him were really really solid. Um, but then there were other times when it was just the, the polar opposite. God has been very consistent. He's been very private. He doesn't he doesn't want to. He's not going to sit there and talk a bunch about uh, about himself or try to again make promises for things that they haven't already done. So I think he's a little reserved at this point. But it's understandable and I think over time he'll
1: he'll open up a little. Bit. It's been my experience over the years that that among the people who get kind of inside or at least close to inside – are uh, the reporters who are there every day, Uh, not only the reporters who are there every day, but those who work for the biggest newspaper or the biggest local television outfit or whatever the big dog in the kennel is, right? Uh, The Omaha World Herald is the biggest dog in this kennel. Do you feel like that allows you to get a little bit more maybe into the hallways that some other people don't get to?
0: Maybe, yes and no. I mean, our, our columnist, Tom Chattel, is deeply respected, uh, rightfully, so, um you know, I think uh I hope you have him on sometime. because I give you i have so,
1: yes, yes yeah, i have so
0: so tom is is really um sort of an institution uh in this way, and so he has a relationship with Scott, for example, it's very interesting because he he wrote a hard thing about Scott you know in nineteen ninety six after the arizona state game and um and that's since been reconciled in in good ways, but um but, you know, I think, yeah, yeah Tom's name and, and his his voice gets him in places um, that all no one else can get into. Uh, so that's helpful. Um, and that's that's been useful in the past. Yeah, I think I think our size helps us. Um, but to be clear, there are 30 people there every day who are there all the time. And there are news outlets there that have just as many people there as we do. Um, how they're funded is. And whether they're going to be around in ten years is another conversation, um, but uh, and and how much they they compensate some of the people is another conversation, and it's a concerning part of the conversation, right? Um, but there's lots of people there all the time, and and as I said before, there are always going to be people in in the news media who are willing to march to whatever beat their source wants to wants to lay out. And you, you can't, it's very, you, you're never going to compete with that. If you're being, a, if you're being an objective, sincere, honest journalist, you cannot do that. And you can't give people the impression you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And it becomes clear pretty darn quick, very quickly. Um, you can talk to somebody and you can ask them that question and go, why did you do that? And you, you can tell by the look in their face, whether they're going to understand what you're talking about or they're going to be they're going to be like I don't know what you're talking about. This is the way I do it. And that look, whatever that look is, that's the difference between what I do and whatever that person does. That I can't and I can tell almost almost immediately like the difference between us. And and I'm not saying that what that person does is wrong or that and what I'm doing is right. I just know it's different. And so there's certain things that, uh, yeah, I think we will get, we can get better access because we have a bigger voice. Um, I'm appreciative of the opportunity I've been given and the, and the number of people who read us. But simultaneously, this is a big machine now. And, you know, 20 years ago when I was in college, there were probably nine, ten people at mm-hmm. practice. Now there's 40. Everybody wants a piece of Nebraska football yeah. because they want to make money. <laughs> so, we're there. Be, we're there because we're stewards of the institution, mm-hmm. and we've been doing it for a hundred years. There's other organizations that are there because they see an opportunity to make to make to turn a little dough.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Sam, and I'll and I'll give you my um, my observation, my my bias, my. my prejudgment uh beforehand um when i came here we came back here i grew up in nebraska went to college here 40 years ago but came back after working in california for 37 or 38 years and one of the first things i noticed was how many cheerleaders there were in the press conferences and of course they're not wearing you know skirts and and, pom-poms but you know exactly what I mean and 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 it and it startled me um because I'd worked in places where cheerleaders were were sort of were were sort of tossed out of the room when they started doing their cheerleading and so is there just too much of that um and and how does if so how does how does that concern you
0: um you know I think I think there's how do you put it like I'm not going to sit here and say that we don't we don't ever try to put, you know, try to look on the positive side of things either. I would want to be a hypocrite in that or, or say that I've never thought those processes. Um, what I would say is that and this isn't this isn't specific to Nebraska, but generally specific of covering any sports team is that hope springs eternal. Right. And there's this idea of always being ascendant, And so there's there's literally one team, two teams in football, um Alabama and New England the Patriots who can who can legitimately say every single year we're going to win a championship and we know we will. And cleanse it I suppose. So three. Outside of that, there, there you can't guarantee those certain things. And so, you know, sometimes you have to think about like when you read a lot of things, it's always about, well, this, this, this good thing could happen and this good thing could happen and this good thing could happen. And you kind of, the cycle of life is that you spend a lot of the, the training camp, not talking about weaknesses, but you know, what could possibly go right. And um, you know, why would you want to say why you know, as if what we write or say could become a self-fulfilling prophecy in the games or something. And so, yeah, it's, um, There there are some aspects of of sports journalism because of the life cycle. It's not perpetual like politics. Um, The season ends, and then a new season begins. And before that season, there's always a sense of uh, maybe they could win this game or this game or this game. And so I think, you know, for about four years there, our record predictions were always higher than what Nebraska actually won. Um, And nobody expected them to go 4-8 last year. So um, that kind of stuff does exist. But and I don't want to be too harsh, but I think there is there's just a sense of there's so many different ways that news organizations are funded now. So you have you know, you have one news organization that's funded by a national fund, you know, and then you have another news organization that's funded by an Internet company that got an angel investment who did this. And then and so there's there's all these different purposes and niches behind people doing kind of what they do. And um, I think that probably to some degree informs how um, how the business has unfolded, right? And, and it's probably – I think local media has done better in sports journalism than it has in all other kinds of journalism. I mean we – I still think local readers want to come to us, whether it's the World Herald or the Journal Star um, or other newspapers that cover it uh, versus – political news because people would rather you know so many other things have been farmed out or funded in different ways Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's yeah I don't know I mean I feel like um, I feel like the the reporting on Nebraska football was extremely objective from 2015 uh, through 2017 with Riley Um, I actually think it's been pretty honest with Frost I think because Frost has been pretty honest with us um, about the challenges. Um, I think there were times during uh, during certain parts of the Bo era, Bellini era where um, there was probably too critical uh, at times, and that could have included me, uh, and it was far too, far too positive. Um, and so part of what was really refreshing, really important for me for the World Herald and for just the state in general is when Dirk was able to write that piece about Bo and what he said about the athletic director right after Bo left. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was still this sort of in-state infighting over everything that had happened with him. Once that tape was released and once that story was written by Dirk, the, the magic spell was gone. And it was It actually was like helpful community journalism (laughs) Mm -hmm. to have that out there as, as, as crass and as, you know, as, as crass as it was, it was valuable because then people were able to say, okay, this, this is done. And we, we don't, we don't need, we've, we've been freed from the need to defend this guy, you know? And so it, it was actually a good thing. It actually was, you know, it helped uh, the process of uh, healing. Now it didn't help football team. they didn't get much better under Mike, but mm-hmm. but it, it helped people to turn the page completely yeah. and just move forward. And uh, and then Riley just wasn't very good, uh, and his teams weren't very good. And so I think fans were um, we we didn't feel any sort of compunction to to puff it up any more than it was. Although some people tried. I mean they they certainly they certainly propped up a couple of assistants on the team that they thought were good recruiters.
1: Sam McEwen covers the Huskers for the Omaha World Herald. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. Competition is good for all of us. Um, It helps uh, keep us uh, honest. It helps uh, drive us. It helps um, uh, make our work better. Um, Who is the competition for the Omaha World Herald in your business? In
0: everyone. Um, So uh, the Journal Star, Husker Online, Husker 247, Hill Varsity. Um, I don't consider the daily Nebraska competition. Um, and actually that grieves me because when I was at the DN, it, they were because I was there. <laughs> and so were a lot of the people who knocked over the team. Uh, but it isn't now, which mm-hmm. is too bad. Um,
1: is that because they've been beaten down or why?
0: Funding. Yeah, and, and, and part part of it is, ironically, I think the J school has gotten better, um, and I think as a result, you guys have, have taken over some of the training and the, uh, the work that the DN used to just assume naturally. And then there was some sort of, I don't know, right around the time I left, which was in 99-2000, there was a beginning and has continued to grow antipathy between a certain segment of student government and the daily Nebraskan and not covering the, certain things the way that they thought it should be covered, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so obviously campus newspapers across the country have suffered uh, since the advent and the rise of the internet, because kids don't read the paper anymore. They, they just look at their phones. So yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, the DN isn't the DN is what it used to be. It just isn't. I mean, you can, you know, when I was there, when I was a sophomore, in uh in college and sophomore sophomore so you know sophomore in college uh Matt was there your colleague Matt Waite mm-hmm. um he worked in news our our editor was Paul Levine who is a senior writer at ESPN um I was there uh the guy who covers Nebraska City athletic Mitch Sherman was there uh Brian Christofferson, who covers uh, Husker football for Husker 247 was there John Callahan, who owns Husker Online, was there. Um, it was it, there was, this is where you went. I mean, you, you you went to J School to get your credits, but you did your work at the DN. That's just kind of how it was. Mm-hmm. Matthew Hanson, was a columnist for the World Herald, was there. These are just people who are in sports. Um, you know, I'm not even talking about the rest of the rest of the organization. And so it was it was a it was a very impressive time and you learned from people who then went on to become great journalists and i i don't i assume that's still happening at the dn it's just not as competitive as it used to be that's just kind of the way it is but anyway everybody else is a competitor um now i don't you know i don't go in there like giving people stink eyes and shooting people with lasers or anything um but nevertheless i don't i don't want to get beat on things um that's not my my aim we'll 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 um uh, We'll we'll be a little bit less, less competitive is the wrong word. We're a little bit more understanding on the recruiting front. I'll say that. There's going to be times when we just don't, the World Herald does not desire to do the hour-by-hour hour recruiting minutia of who's going to take a visit. We're, we're a little more focused on the personal stories of the recruits and when they actually come, not the horse race. Um, and we'll do some of the horse race because it's interesting and it drives traffic, but um, our goal is that when a kid commits, we want to know about that kid. We don't just want to know why he like Nebraska. Um, and so the recruiting sites do a nice job with just specifically recruiting. Um, and we'll do some of that, but we probably don't obsess over that piece quite as much. We'll do more administrative stuff and more big picture stories um, sometimes than, than the recruiting sites. And that's, that's okay. I get along with those guys. They're all good dudes. So um but generally, everybody's our competitor.
1: So you talked earlier about, about access, and you feel like the access is pretty good and it's better here than it is at other places. It's yeah. been my experience over the years that assistant coaches are invaluable in, in, in getting information uh, about teams, any teams. Um, and then, and, and of course, access to players is important. Do you find the assistant coach and player access is good, great, reasonable? Um, it works?
0: Great. Yep, uh, great at Nebraska. I have no complaints. Um, the assistant coaches are crucial. Um, you know, I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind talking to the coordinator of the side of the ball that's opposite of the head coach right after the game. Um, so that would be Eric Shenander. Um, because Scott really does, he puts, He, you know, Eric takes the defense. It's not, Scott's not spending a lot of time with that. So I wouldn't mind talking to him directly after the game. Uh, that said, Eric's on the sidelines during the game, and it cannot it's not always easy to be able to tell what happened out there when you don't get a you don't get a sky view. Mm-hmm. But we get every assistant coach during the week. Um, to to Frost's credit, and I do think I do think he, it is to his credit, he's put together a, a, an assistant coaching staff that's pretty relatable, and um, you know doesn't have a lot of guys on it that have. I think he he built an co- assistant coaching staff for chemistry, and in other words, he wanted guys on the staff that that w- could work with each other, were relatable, were were not, you know, people who had worked over here for thirty years and had a very set way of doing things. And you know, hey, you know, I'm not going to answer. He, they, he didn't hire a bunch of guys that wanted big time people. Uh, they're pretty down to earth, pretty relatable guys. Um, so they're they've been great. I mean, they're, they're very honest, um, and they'll give you what you need. And, um, he's you know, he's done a nice job there. The player access is pretty good. One thing you find is that players are more eager to talk to you when they're freshmen and sophomores than they are as seniors, with the exception of a very few people. So, like, Carlos and Khalil Davis have been great from the time they came on campus at Nebraska to now. They're great guys, and they will talk to you whenever you want. Um, but other players, you'll notice, they're great as freshmen. They're, they're really good as sophomores. But as they get older, they get less and less enamored with the process of talking to us, which I understand. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things I've, I've realized, uh, and we all realize pretty quickly, is is how mature and sharp Adrian Martinez is for an 18-year-old kid especially. Has uh, mm-hmm. the access to him and what you get out of him been good and honest and fair? Yes.
0: Adrian has talked after every game that he has played in. Um I think he didn't play after talk after the Colorado game because he got hurt, and then oh maybe he did I can't remember and he didn't talk after the Troy game but otherwise he's talked after every game he's played in and then he's available during the week and so that is two media opportunities um, and that that works for us and, and Adrian's you know he's he's pretty boilerplate he knows how to play the game um, they've talked to him I think a little bit about being more of a vocal leader. Which I think is going to translate into him talking more positively and more effusively about his teammates, because sometimes Adrian could just be, you know, pretty, you know, monotone. Um, but generally speaking, he's going to keep it pretty close to the vest. He'll give you about eight nine minutes. Um, he'll tell you where he's at. He'll tell you where the team's at. And there you go. Um, uh, he's 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 a, the access to him is good. He's never going to say anything that's. It's uh, too far out of school. They haven't had a quarterback like that in a long time. They haven't had a quarterback that was just uh, – Joe Gams was probably the last guy that was just an amazing quote every single week. Uh, and it's not surprising that Joe became a coach. But, um, yeah, so the guy that we go to for the straight stuff is is Muhammad Barry. So he's the senior linebacker. He'll probably be a captain this year. Um, Muhammad is great. Uh, cares, loves the game, wears it on his sleeve, and uh, you know if you want to talk about, hey, where's the team's heart and soul at right at this moment, you're probably going to go talk to him, and he'll he'll give you he'll give you a real answer.
1: Every reporter and every team needs somebody like that because you all, yeah. uh, no matter what it is, it's a Major League Baseball clubhouse. You've got to have somebody you can go to who knows how the heart is beating and uh, where the blood is flowing, and if you don't have that, it's hard.
0: It is hard, and I'll tell you what. If you don't have it, the chances of you being a real good team aren't that high because even though talking to the media is not how you become a good team, it is a, it is a glimpse into how a team operates if they don't have anybody who can do that. And there's been a couple teams that I've covered um, where you know you could you talk – and this has happened a little bit more in women's basketball – where you talk to the whole team and there's so oh, – there's no real voice and you're like hard to have great chemistry when there isn't one voice mm-hmm. at least one. Um, and when, when that women's basketball team has been the best and I've covered them since 2011, they had Lindsay Moore who was a, was a very, was a fiery great leader uh, or they had Jordan Hooper, who was a great leader because she was a great human being. One of the best human beings I've ever met. Um, they had those players. They had people to whom everybody gravitated to, and when they've struggled, they haven't necessarily had as much of that, you know, heart and soul, that rooted person who you know is going to be at every postgame press conference because they're they're running the team. Um, and so I think you notice that over time, um, teams where you know when it got rough under uh, under Riley, you know, there, there might be two guys that talked all week, and one of them was Tanner Lee. Uh, and, you know, and I'm like, that's a marker of you guys aren't fighting. Mm-hmm. What I what I noticed with Frost's first team, even though they went four and eight, every single week these guys came up, and you could tell that Frost had talked to them about what it means to to, to hold people accountable. And and you could, when you see people coming up week after week after week, even after you started 0 and six, they actually believe in it, and they believe in each other. Yeah. And and so that's something you can kind of note as a reporter when you start when you keep seeing guys want to talk about about struggles that means they think they're going to turn it around
1: Mario Verduzco uh, comes across as a guy who's uh, quotable, uh, intellectual, almost scientific in his work. Um, can you give me a little bit of an idea of you know, a profile of uh, Verduzco and, and, and his work with the media, but also who he is and what he brings?
0: He is, he is very smart and intellectual, but he's also kind of a romantic. Um, so he's a guy that can talk about the mechanics of, of quarterback play but simultaneously, he was a music major, um, and so he, uh, he 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 knows how to he can play at a concert. Um, he, he's talked to me about that before. This idea of of being in a jazz quartet on stage and what happens when people who really know what they're doing, so they're experts, but then they begin to you know expand the boundaries. Of their knowledge into just this place of just play, and that's kind of what he wants his players to do. He wants to get them to a point where their mechanics and their fundamentals are perfect, and and, and once they've got that found that foundation that base, he wants them to be able to just play, you know, and, and be able to. Um, they're so natural in those movements that it that it unlocks a new aspect. and and that's sort of improvisation. That's what he calls jazz. So when you see Adrian Martinez you know, improvising in a way that makes a good play even better. um, I think that that's what brings, you know, you know, reduce to, I don't know if tears is the right word, but that's what he's looking for. And um, so it's been interesting to get to know him, not only in that way, but also the way he talks about his family and the way that he talks about his life and, his life experience, there's just genuine passion there. And uh, I think that, I think over time, that's going to be a a wonderful effect on Adrian. Uh, I I think Martinez grew up having to be very mature because of his family, his mom passing away. I think he's had to shoulder a load for a long time. Um, And then I think he got to Nebraska, and they're asking him to do some of those same things. But the position coach he got is, I think it's going to be great for him. I think he's going to learn how to live a little life and be a little bit freer and less burdened um, because Verduzco is his
1: coach. Two California guys uh, coming to the Great Plains uh, to make a difference. <laughs> seems, yeah. seems kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and one of them is, you know, one of them is absolutely a California guy, and the other one, you know, probably is California from 30 years ago. Um, because I think over time, California has become more, you know, mellowed out.
1: You're talking about Verduzco. Yeah. 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 So you have among the highest profile jobs at the Omaha world Herald covering the Huskers. Um, one, one of the highest profile jobs in, in, in journalism in Nebraska. Do you recognize that? Do you feel like that? Do you, do you have that responsibility, that accountability? Do you feel that?
0: Well, I recognize the importance of it, and I recognize that I have to be a good steward. Yeah, I do. Um, I think I do understand that aspect of it, that I've been given something uh, that I need to steward well, uh, that I have to be uh, fair with it, that I can't be you know, overly harsh or overly sappy or any of those things. Um, I, I take it seriously from that perspective, uh, just as I'm sure the beat writers at other places would, too. Now that we're all on the internet, it's a little, you know, I mean, yeah, my platform's probably a little bit bigger than some others. Um, but then others are just as big as me. And then guys like, you know, Tom Chattel and Steve Sipple, who are even bigger than I am, or Sean, uh, who is bigger too. So, you know, I'm in there somewhere and, and, uh, I do understand and appreciate the responsibility, um, of that. I would, I would simultaneously say that I don't, I've always kind of thought of myself as somebody who, uh, is very much um, a person of the people. So, like, I'm not, uh, you know, if they told me I had to stay in the cheapest cheapest hotel and drive the worst rental car, it wouldn't bother me. Like, I'm not, that's not me. That's just, I'm just not that, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, as I like to call myself a hack. You know, I don't want to, I don't ever want to present myself as something more than I am. And I would never want to lose um, a sense of being in touch with the audience. Um, so like I, I try not to, uh, hold myself above it, uh, too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand and sometimes people will come up to you and, and say, you know, they really, they read your work. And, uh, I'm never quite sure what to say, but I'll say like, uh, I'll say, well, thank you for reading. Like we need every reader we can get, (laughs) Uh, which we can. And, uh, you know, so, I try to keep it on that level and just say hey, thank you. And you know, sometimes I'll ask a question. Um, there's a couple times when, like, we'll just, I'll be standing somewhere and somebody will just ask a question about Nebraska without introducing themselves. And I'll be like, how you doing? You know, I like, <laughs> okay, I guess we know, we both know what I do. So, um, but I don't know. There was this time in Kansas where we were going to a wedding, my wife and I, we were at a hotel and we were eating breakfast. Something was a Fairfield and they have a breakfast there. And this guy comes up to me in Kansas and says this, and I just, honestly, like, I just don't know how to handle that. I'm not great with praise. And my wife was like, you need to learn how to handle that better. She just said, I understand that you're this way about X, Y, and Z, but you have to, when people come and tell you those things, you have to, you know, look them in the eye and not act like you're, you wish they weren't saying that to you. And so like, I took that to heart. That was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I took that to heart. I think, I think I have to be able to, you know, to be, to, to acknowledge the role that I've got and uh, and to accept that people appreciate it. Um, I've always been somewhat of an underdogish kind of personality. So um, it's not always easy for me to identify that, but, um, but I understood after she told me that that was good advice from her and I've
1: I feel like I've done better since. Good advisor. Good job. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'd like to uh, acknowledge and thank you for your, not only your grassroots view of journalism, but... I'll thank you and also maybe accuse you of your intellectual view of journalism as well, because I really think you've sort of figured it out from the bottom to the top and every, uh, little, um, every little tributary that, that comes into it and goes out of it. So, And thank you. Uh, th- that's been a great conversation. I appreciate it very much.
0: Well, I appreciate it too. And I worked for a website before I worked for the World Herald, and that website was very, very small. I worked for that website. I made $400 a month. I was working another job. I'd been out of journalism for six or seven years. I went back and worked for this guy um, and uh, that I worked for back in early 2000. I was working for peanuts really. And so it was all on me. And so I understood going into these situations, you know, I covered Nebraska football and they wouldn't give me a credential for the season. And I would have to go around to these small newspapers and try to get credentials for the games. And I would do these interviews with small town radio all over the place and, so I've been on the other side of that, where I was sort of like out of Eden, so to speak. Uh, so I understand what both sides of that look like. And so, like, when I talk about other organizations that cover the team, I would never want it to sound as if um, I don't respect them because, in truth, I come from that. I mean, that's, that's the only reason I am where I am. So um, I appreciate and respect anybody who's able to do it and be there day after day.
1: Well, congratulations on your great work, and thanks again. Thanks. You bet. Yeah. Sam McEwen covers the Huskers for the Omaha World Herald. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media.